0: Hello and thank you for tuning in to the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast. Now, please welcome, all the way from the front living room, your hosts, Shelley and Bella. Hello everybody and welcome to the Weird, Wacky and Wonderful Stories podcast.
1: Hi guys and girls.
0: Can't forget the ladies. No. Today we are going to do some stories on reincarnation, out-of-body experiences.
1: And end-of-life experiences, although these are witness accounts.
0: So they're... People who witnessed the other person dying. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Well, this is episode seven, and we decided to do something a little bit more, let's say, spiritual, which is why we picked these topics today, because the number of seven is actually quite a spiritual number, if you look at numerology and all that. But did you know, Bella, that seven is used in the Bible 735 times?
1: Really? And how many uh, words are there in the Bible?
0: I don't know how many it's out of. I don't know what percentage seven I bet up. you
1: it's not a very big percentage. Just saying. How many times does it say Look, the?
0: You can't, you can't this my fact-finding, okay? Because it gets bigger. Because if you include the word sevenfold and the word seventh, I don't know who I'm doing air quotes to, mm-hmm. it actually appears 860 times.
1: Slightly better. How many times does it say God in there?
0: Okay, moving on. You're not taking this seriously.
1: Okay. <laughs> right. I am. I am. I'm just saying that's a coincidence more than, um, you know, a pattern. Well, I don't know.
0: I th- I think that the point is is that they keep on saying that God made the earth in seven days, seven nights. and All right, well, that's is... a point too, I suppose, but yeah. still. If and I on drop, the seventh if
1: I had a hard cover of the Bible and dropped it on your toe, I really think it's it going to hurt, hurt more than seven toes. Exactly. Y- yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. Aha.
0: <laughs> We're going to start off with the reincarnation story. So this one says a three-year-old boy in the Golan Heights caused quite a stir when he claimed he was murdered in a past life. The boy, who was a member of an ethnic group which believes in reincarnation, had a long red birthmark on his head. According to their beliefs, birth masks indicate where death wounds occurred during a past life. When the boy learned how to talk, he started telling elders that he'd been killed by an axe blow in a prior life. The boy was led through several villages to see if any of them were familiar to him. Once he found a familiar village, he claimed that he knew exactly who had killed him. Suddenly, the boy walked up to a man and said, Aren't you? And then he said his name. The man answered, Yes. Then the boy said, I used to be your neighbour. We had a fight and you killed me with an axe. They then told how the man suddenly went white as a sheet and then the three-year-old boy said, I even know where you buried my body. Afterward, the boy led his elders to a pile of stones under which they found a body with an axe wound in its head. He also led them to the spot where the axe was buried, reportedly forcing his killer to confess the crime.
1: Nice. I bet you he wished he could pick the axe up again now.
0: Can you imagine, though, a three-year-old coming up to you and saying, we had a fight? I mean, these days, you'd be on Twitter immediately, wouldn't you? You know, someone would be saying, what, this guy's had a fight with a three-year-old?
1: Yeah, but still, I, I just think that must have been a heck of a thing, like, knocked on his door, little boy. I know you, you killed me. <laughs> yeah. And, like, I wonder what his family said, you know, the because the, he, he said that he was his neighbour, so he... Got the guy, yeah, he said, and then. But I wonder if his family were still neighbors. Any of his sort of oh, extended family. Oh, I got you. Family. So
0: is the the person he was in his prior life, whether his neighbors are still, whether his family is still in the area. Yeah. Yeah, but if not for reincarnation, how else could you explain that story? Maybe he
1: was psychic.
0: Yeah. Could have been.
1: Or maybe he just made it up. I mean, he's three years old.
0: You you can't make up knowing where the body (laughs) is, finding the pile of stones, finding the axe, finding the body with an axe wound in its head, and then getting the guy to confess. I mean, the guy's not going to confess it was made up, was he?
1: Yeah, no. Or maybe it was the little boy's family who told him to say it. Yeah, yeah. So that they could could get the other guy. I don't know. I don't know. Most likely it was unexplainable.
0: Unless you use the hypothesis of reincarnation. Mm. It's interesting that this particular ethnic group believe in reincarnation to start with.
1: There's lots of cultures and people, if not cultures, but people who do believe in reincarnation. No, my
0: point is, is that we were talking, I think, either last episode or the episode before, about how maybe there's certain filters put in place by what you're brought up to believe. Remember we were talking about the fact that People maybe are not seeing ghosts because, as from a little child, when they were seeing ghosts and their parents come into the room and said, Don't be silly, there's no such thing as ghosts, they've eventually built up this filter to say, Okay, what I'm seeing can't really be there, it can't really be real. So, your brain or or your your mind puts some kind of filter in place to stop you from seeing those things. And we were talking about how how maybe that stymies people from being able to actually. see these things or be as sensitive to them as maybe they would have normally been here we've got this little boy who albeit he's only three years old but at no point has anyone ever said to him reincarnation doesn't exist because that's part of what their belief structure is
1: well yeah because today people probably be like oh you're crazy you saw on tv or that's exactly my point if a
0: three-year-old come up to you here for instance and said i remember i used to live down the street and i it was an old bloke with a tweed jacket they would say don't be silly you came out of mummy's tummy yeah there's about 50 people
1: be, 50 old people on tweed jackets yeah, well street. that's why i picked
0: it yeah <laughs> all right let's try another one then so here there was an eight-year-old named james Lininger of louisiana now he began talking about aviation at two years old His parents reportedly knew nothing about the subject and were amazed when their little boy started displaying such an extensive knowledge of planes. Their amazement turned to alarm when James started having nightmares about being shot down by a plane with a red sun on it, a Japanese plane. Yeah. He talked about having dreams and memories of being Lieutenant James McCready Houston, a World War II fighter pilot from Pennsylvania who'd been killed in Iwo Jima more than 50 years earlier. Andrea, his mother, said that James would scream at the top of his voice, "'Airplane crash! On fire! Can't get out! Help!' as he kicked and pointed to the ceiling. Later, James told his parents that he'd flown a plane called Corsair from a boat called the Natoma. When James's father decided to do some research, he discovered that there had been a small escort carrier called the Natoma Bay, which had been in the Battle of Iwo Jima, and that there really had been a pilot called James Houston. His plane was hit in the engine by Japanese fire on March the 3rd, 1945. And according to Jim Tucker, a psychologist at the University of Virginia, Houston's plane crashed exactly the way that young James Leininger had described.
1: That's weird, but why would you need a psychologist to tell you that? it crashed exactly as he described was he there
0: well no but if you if you have a young child this started when the kid was two years old and at the point of when they found out all of the information about the plane crash and everything he was eight so I would have thought that possibly at some point the psychologist was brought in because if your child is thrashing about believing that it was or remembering being in a burning plane it will probably have some kind of mental effect on the child so they probably took it to the psychologist to uh maybe look into it
1: it reminds me of a book that i read also they made it into a movie called audrey rose i think and um, it's about a little girl who dies in a car crash and there's fire and all that and then she later comes back as another little girl and through the story the father of the little girl that died kind of comes on the scene and is able to help her new parents sort of understand what was going on with her because she was really afraid of fire and yeah. she you know, she would think that windows, house windows and stuff, that it, it would sort of trigger it in her mind, this whole car crash.
0: That's an interesting point. How would you deal with it as a parent if you'd lost your child and then you found out that six, 12 months later there's a kid down the street that's been born that to all intents and purposes is your reincarnate child. I wonder at what point you would feel that that child is yours now, because obviously the people that have just given birth to that child feel that it's their child. There would be that whole sort of, I, I guess, jealousy, wouldn't there?
1: Well, there'd be something because, I mean, obviously if you think about it, you want when your child is born, you see that kid, that little baby as being innocent and, you know, new and you're gonna teach the child and you're gonna shape this child into hopefully into a decent human being and whatever and then but it's almost like something else already recorded over that or you're recording over something that isn't necessarily pure and new and that you so but
0: if you believe that let's look at it like this according to a 2011 report there are approximately 108 billion people that have ever lived on this planet, okay? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: In 2017, the approximate global population is 7.5 billion. So 108 billion ever lived, 7.5 billion on Earth now. Are the souls that we've all got inside us reincarnated? So there's only ever... Say, for instance, there's only ever been 10 billion souls ever made, for instance, yeah? Yeah. Then are we all sort of recycled, if you like, from day one so we all get a chance to come back? Or do you reckon there has been 108 billion souls? If there has been 108 billion souls, then reincarnation can't exist because, as you said... You get this new baby, this all shiny. Well, not necessarily shiny and new, but yeah, stinky, st- and stinky and sloppy and new. <laughs> then there's, and, and that baby tends, finds out that it's got a personality or, or a memory, at least, of something that's happened in the past that they believe that they were involved in. Then there couldn't have been 108 billion souls because we're already down one. Because one's been recycled.
1: Maybe there's a big place where all the souls go. Maybe maybe they get to roam around and be ghosts until suddenly they can be Reincarnated chosen, again. Uh, you know. Yeah. Because it's a thing that I always thought about people when they die. And you say, oh, well, where do they go? Do you believe in ghosts? And, and see, I do believe in ghosts and sort of the unexplained stuff because... I remember being in science when I was a little kid. Did they have science when you were a kid? Oh, bite me. (laughs) Anyway, our our science teacher was talking about energy and how it can't be created or destroyed. It can just be changed. And so if that's true and the body itself is made up of a whole bunch of energy, then where does it go and what does it get changed into? So maybe that is a thing, like you're just sort of anywhere and then when it's sort of your turn when your little number gets pulled you get to go back but then that's weird too because is that soul then possessing this
0: that soul could be anyone couldn't it i mean you could that soul could be hitler for instance in your new beautiful baby
1: yeah but that's terrible and then you don't want to think like that yeah, so, no, I know, but, right, but it wouldn't,
0: it wouldn't, it wouldn't come out with a little mustache and its right arm <laughs> extended, would it? I mean, it's it's going <laughs> to be hopefully
1: not, because I don't think the mom would appreciate <laughs> that. But
0: but you know what I mean, though. It's it's not going to be Hitler necessarily at that point. And that we're bringing in that whole nature-nurture thing again, aren't we? Because I've come to the realisation myself, and I don't want to get all hippie sort of stuff in, in here. because um, that's you're not, not
1: quite old enough to be a hippie, but yeah. okay.
0: I believe that this world that we're on is a testing ground to a certain degree. And I think that we have certain lessons that we've got to learn. And until we learn them, we keep coming back. Now, what happens after we learn them, I don't know. But I think that we keep coming back because we've got to learn these, these different things. And it may well be if Hitler was reincarnated inside your beautiful baby girl, for instance, that this time around, she is going to learn that what happened last time isn't the way the world should operate.
1: My son and I are watching a show called Preacher at the moment on Netflix. It's interesting because Hitler is actually in the show. Really? Yeah. And... The thing sort of takes place at one point in hell. And so you've got all these people that are in hell. And one of the people that's in hell is Hitler. And there is a character who shouldn't be there. Like, you, first some, of
0: all, are you going to be giving spoilers? No, no, no. Right, okay, go on.
1: But he's not necessarily supposed to be there, this, this, this one character. Mm-hmm. And so Hitler does some things to help this boy get out of hell. Mm-hmm. And... He's quite proud of himself, Hitler is, and he says, you know, no, it's you have to go. You you don't belong here. I finally have done something good is what the whole mm. thing for Hitler is now.
0: Unless you're the devil in which case the devil saying, you wanker.
1: What, yeah, and it's it's a really good show and there's so much more to the whole premise, but I don't want to give it away because yeah. I really think...
0: I, I, I want to watch it. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, so. you
1: should watch it. But back to the thing, I just think, would this theoretical Hitler baby reincarnation story happen? Is Hitler, does he bleed through in some way? Mm. Do, you know, And if he does, does he bleed through, say, when he was young? And mm. he wasn't necessarily maybe evil because as much as, as he did, Hitler, I'm sure there had to be a point somewhere when that person was small where he really was just ordinary boy mm. you know mm. so what happened yeah well
0: it's true what happened what i mean going totally off topic for one second i used to deal with young offenders i used to work with young offenders as you know but that's you you, not even me no no it's not <laughs> when when i used to get one of these young offenders in that i just couldn't reach because they just seemed to have this thing in their head that you know they were going to just do what they wanted irrespective of what anyone else thought or or how it affected anyone else I used to sit them down and I said to them, who was your favourite superhero? And they always said Superman, Spider-Man. They never said Lex Luthor, you know, the Joker. That's
1: because Lex Luthor and the Joker weren't superheroes. No, but
0: but what I'm saying is, (laughs) my point is, is that I was able to then say to them, so at one point you erred on the side of good. You know, at one point you were rooting for the superhero. You were looking for, you were rooting for good against bad. Now what changed? How come you've suddenly changed your whole outlook and now you want to be the bad guy? But it's funny that when you bring it back to when to make them think back to when they were younger and, and the kind of things they did aspire to be, it I I think it certainly in my case anyway, it tended to help them.
1: It's a whole nature and nurture thing though, isn't it? Exactly. If you back can to that. if you can try to help someone pinpoint you know, what it was that changed them. Hmm. Can you then help them?
0: It. It's all of that. What's that thing that you study?
1: Neuro linguistic programming.
0: Yeah, so that's, that's kind of the same thing, isn't it? You take them back to a certain area and then you can switch it and make them go down another path. Is that right?
1: Well, no, but what you can do is you, you can help them create sort of a trigger. So if somebody's like terrified of speaking in public, you can help them to create an anchor so that if they pull on their thumb or something, not, not that you'd want to be standing up pulling on your thumb. Like I think the worst thing to be pulling in, in public. <laughs> but, you know, you associate that anchor with them not being afraid and thinking of something that made them feel awesome. And then they're supposed to then be able to get in front of a crowd of people and do this whatever you anchor it so that maybe they don't feel Nervous, they feel yeah. really good or something. More confident. That's what. That's what it's good for. Making people become more confident. Right. Yeah.
0: Cool. While we're still on the reincarnation bit here, I'll hand this one to you, and you can you can give this because I've been hogging it a bit.
1: Nothing unusual about that.
0: Mm. I'm going to be totally silent now.
1: <laughs> when I was your age, I changed your diaper. You so liar. That- <laughs> 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 When I was your age, I changed your diaper, said the dark-haired boy to his father. Ron looked down at his smiling son, who had not yet turned two. He thought it was a very strange thing to say, but he figured he had misheard him. But as baby Sam made similar remarks over the next few months, Ron and his wife Kathy gradually pieced together an odd story. Sam believed that he was his deceased grandfather, Ron's late father, who had returned to his family. More intrigued than alarmed, Ron and Kathy asked Sam, "'How did you come back?' "'I just went whoosh and came out of the portal,' he responded. Although Sam was a precocious child, he'd been speaking in full sentences from the age of 18 months. His parents were stunned to hear him use a word like portal, and they encouraged him to say more. They asked Sam if he had had any siblings, and he replied that he'd had a sister who turned into a fish." Who turned her into a fish? Some bad guys. She died. Eerily enough, Sam's grandfather had a sister who had been murdered 60 years earlier. Her body had been found floating in the San Francisco Bay. Ron and Kathy then gently asked Sam, Do you know how you died? Sam jerked back and slapped the top of his head as if in pain. One year before Sam was born, his grandfather had died of a cerebral hemorrhage.
0: I think the the most shocking thing out of this is that such a young child would use the word portal because where would a child have heard of that of of 18 months actually it says he'd been speaking in full sentences from the age of 18 months his parents were stunned to hear him use a word like portal they encouraged him to say more. What's so, a portal, 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 <laughs> portal? When he said that, did you have any siblings, and he said that he had a sister who turned into a fish, was he relating to the fact that the body was in the water and therefore like a fish, and that's how an 18 or 2-year-old child or whatever would envisage it? Or was she reincarnated as a fish after that?
1: Well, I'd like to think it would be the first option. I mean, would you really want to be reincarnated as a fish? What, do we get any choice? We know that animals
0: have consciousness. You could not say that our dogs never had consciousness. You can't say that our our little birdie that we got upstairs hasn't got a consciousness because she's got a sense of humor. She's got a...
1: She's got a mean streak.
0: No, she's got a mean streak. I know that. You know what I mean, don't you?
1: She, I wonder, seeing how I walked into that spider web the other day. Oh, guys, that means... guys, let me
0: just tell you about this. Hold on a minute. <laughs> Wait. Keep, no, keep... Do... Go on in.
1: Hold it. I wonder if that means now that because I made him into Spider Man's meat, that I am going to come back as a spider. Possibly. I'll become a black widow.
0: Mm. Oh, cheers for that. <laughs> Guys, I've got to tell you about this. So, we got these out front of our house. We've got these two big, they're like conifer ferns, I guess. Conifer right greens. Right outside the front of our house. And between the, they're, they're probably about. Four or five feet apart, these things are. So there's a gap of about four or five feet between these two that trees. That someone would et naturally
1: want to walk yeah. by. So
0: you don't have to walk between these two, you can walk around them. And so the last couple of days, I've been saying to Bella, walk around them because there are two spider webs, one on the entrance to this gap and one on the exit to this gap of these two trees. Mm-hmm. And the, between both of them is these spider webs, front and back. And in the middle of it is these big British garden spiders. And if you're not from the UK, look them up. They're, they're nice, pretty things. Pretty my not. ass. <laughs> anyway, yesterday morning or, or the day before yesterday, Bella walked out of the house and just didn't think about it and walked straight through these spider webs with these spiders. And and one of the, the things about these spiders is they do sit directly in the centre. I mean, that's the thing that these spiders are known for. They sit in directly the centre of this web, and wait. And she, well, wa- and he she was, walked. He was through. directly
1: in the center of my boobs <laughs> when uh, his life drastically changed for the worse. <laughs> well,
0: so she walked through it, realized that she'd walked through it.
1: Oh, I know. I'm telling you what, I was rubbing my hair and patting myself down and jumping up and, just, and down. Just, and, just, and my boss happened to be driving by <laughs> just at that moment and tooted his horn at me.
0: Yeah, two of his horn as if to say, all right, how you doing?
1: And I went into work a little bit later than that, and he said, what the hell are we jumping around like that for? He said, you look like you were having a fit.
0: Yeah, thanks for stopping and helping. <laughs> so, anyway, she, uh, yeah, <laughs> so, I wish I'd have seen it.
1: But the funnier part of that was... That when I got to where I was going, which was just a few feet up the street to a, what is that, a budgeons thing at the... A, yeah, just a... Yeah. And I, I went in and ran over to this woman. Like, she didn't know me from Adam. And I didn't know her. And I'm like, I just walked into this really huge spider rub. And it was a really big spider. And can you please check me and make sure he's not on me? And I'm spinning around. and. <laughs> She said, I don't think I see anything. I don't think it's on you.
0: (laughs) But you spent the rest of the day shaking your hair and, oh man, you you should have seen these spiders, guys. (laughs) Honestly, you'd realize why she was. uh...
1: But I came home, didn't I? And I was telling you about it, and I stripped off in the middle of the kitchen, shaking all my clothes. (laughs) (laughs) And then I had to calmly redress myself and go to work. Now we're going to start talking about the end-of-life experiences, and uh, I have a question for you. Why do so many people who have had a near-death experience describe hauntingly similar visions? There is an intensive care nurse named Penny Sartori who spent years investigating these experiences for her PhD. So I'm going to read you a couple of the things that she discovered or was told about. Okay, cool. Four years ago, children's author Shelley e. Parker Shelley yeah imagine that <laughs> suddenly had a strong premonition that her fiance was about to die. This made no sense at all. if anyone was going to die, it was more likely to be Shelley herself as she was seriously ill with cancer. But that night in hospital, her premonition was reinforced by a bizarre dream in which she met God. She recalled every moment of it when she woke, how God had told her that it was time for Stephen to go and turned down her plea to take her instead. At noon the next day, Stephen, who was a helicopter pilot, was killed in a crash. I now wonder whether I could have stopped him dying if i told him, says Shelley, who lives in Farnworth, Lancashire. Is that right? Lancashire. Yeah. But I don't think I could have. There was no doubt in Shelley's mind that she'd somehow tuned in to the future.
0: I wonder whether whether she did actually have a conversation with God or a God, whatever mm. your religion might be, or as you said, whether she tuned into something like a psychic.
1: Mm, I don't know. Sad though the the bargaining. You know, she, here she is, a very sick woman, and saying, you know, oh, take me instead, not him. Yeah. And yet...
0: They took him anyway. It just goes to show, doesn't it, that potentially your life is predestined. Yeah, when like, your time, Final your time. Destination, that Final Destination movie.
1: Yeah. Another story I have is... It's a story of Janice White, a British woman who was visiting friends in Virginia in the US. In the middle of the night, she told me she'd suddenly snapped wide awake. In her bedroom was her childhood nanny, whom she hadn't seen in years, though they still corresponded. In real life, she was well over 80, said Janice, but in the vision, she was ageless and surrounded by an immensely bright light. She smiled at me, put her hand out, and telepathically told me all was well. I was shocked and stayed awake. Next morning, I told my hosts that I thought my old nanny had died. Later that day, a cousin called from England to tell me that's exactly what had happened. How can we explain such accurate premonitions? Sadly, science has not even begun to find answers. Now, where is that? Because it's a a, a nanny, somebody that she hasn't seen in presumably years and years. And this nanny chose to come and tell this person, you know, that all was well. Like, I wonder if that's true. You know, did this lady that died, did she go to other people or was it just Janice? I I
0: think what I find weird about that is the fact that she describes her as ageless. I don't know how you could describe someone as ageless. If you see them in a dream, they're going to have an age. You're going to see whether they, you know, whether they look like they're in their 20s or 30s. I don't know how you can look at someone and say they're ageless. It so did,
1: so, yeah, so did she actually look like herself? Or, or did she see
0: like a, a smoke, you know, a haze and hear a voice or something? I just don't understand how you can describe someone as ageless.
1: Or maybe she saw this person in her sort of true... It's like the picture of Dorian Gray where all of the sins that he'd committed went onto this painting rather than on him, so mm-hmm. he looked perfect. I'm not suggesting that the nanny. Yeah, but he
0: looked perfect at what age? You know, he's still going to look like he's in his 20s or whatever, isn't he?
1: Well, yeah, but still, if you have no scars and you have no wrinkles and you have no blemishes and your hair is not, you know, grayed, would you would you think of that as ageless, you no, know? No, I'd
0: say I'd think of that as young. You know, you can. I don't understand how you can look at something and not put an age to it. If I was to see a badger, because I know nothing about animals, if I was to see a badger, I'd be able to say, that's a badger, but I wouldn't be able to say, that's a three-year-old badger. So that badger to me could be ageless in in terms of, I have no reference point to put an age to that badger. Don't ask me why I picked badger. But I don't see how you can see a person and call them ageless.
1: Well, maybe it goes back to that whole filter and seeing what... The yeah. yeah, maybe it's her interpretation. We don't know, do we? Yeah. I mean, maybe if we saw her, she would just Bizarre. look like a old lady because we don't know who she is. We don't know, you know. Maybe this nanny played a really important. Well, I guess she would, wouldn't she? Play a really important role in this woman's life. We don't know if she was the nanny from the time she was born until.
0: Yeah, I would love to be able to chat to that person and, and yeah. ask them, "What do you mean by ageless?" Because that's the only bit that foxes me out of that.
1: Foxes you. Yeah,
0: not badgers and not badgers foxes. Badgers and
1: foxes. Yeah. <laughs> we're talking
0: about the birds and the bees next. That's another podcast.
1: You were uh, No. <sighs> okay, then. Right. So, there are no scientific theories that sort of come close to explaining why... Some people have these near death experiences, and a lot of them can include, like, you know, the tunnels and bright light, and people that you know they see their dead relatives that's pretty common. I've heard that a lot. This, um, nurse Penny Sartori she has a theory about things, and she said. I'm increasingly open to the possibility that our brains are separate from our consciousness. In other words, the brain may be channeling what some people call the soul rather than responsible for creating it.
0: Yeah, there's a big debate on whether consciousness lives inside the body or whether consciousness is external to it.
1: And then she says. As a theory, it deserves scientific investigation. If proved, it would explain, for instance, why enhanced consciousness can be experienced separately from the body. That's is true, isn't it? The whole well, re- that's what
0: this whole the, the, this is what this whole reincarnation and the out of body experiences that we're going to yep. go into afterwards all point to. That. Yep. It's almost a non-local yeah. experience.
1: Further, she says, and it would also help account for extraordinary phenomenon known as shared death experience. This is admittedly rare, but two separate cases have been reported to me by relatives who were present at a deathbed. And apparently they saw two different things, which this is interesting because it goes back to that thing... In a previous podcast where we were saying... And by that you know,
0: orb that went between one yeah. room and another, that ball of yeah. light and another person saw an actual entity walking.
1: So it says, The first took place in 2004 in the north of England. A dying woman in her 70s was unconscious in a hospital with her family around her bed. Her husband Peter and son Harry were holding her hands and her daughter Gail had placed a hand on her forehead. "'Subsequently, I interviewed both Peter and Gail separately about what they'd seen. "'According to Peter, he suddenly noticed a bright light a little distance away. "'As he watched, a tall man stepped forward from the light with his hands outstretched. "'Then his unconscious wife seemed to rise from her bed and walk toward the man. "'He was waiting there as if to give her a welcoming hug. "'There was a sense of peace and love,' Peter recalled." Now, Gail appears to have had a fuller experience of the same vision. All of a sudden, I could see Mom walking into the distance on a path, she said. Around her head was like a sun, and on her right-hand side, I could see the silhouette of some people. Then I saw this tall person. I don't know who he was. When she reached him, he took her into his arms as if in a warm embrace that was full of love. Mom's breaths got shallower, and then there were no more further breaths, and the scene disappeared. Naturally, the family was devastated at their loss, but unlike Harry, who had seen nothing at all, father and daughter had what Peter described as big smiles on their faces. So, yes.
0: It's interesting, they both saw a tall man.
1: Mm, I wonder
0: whether that was her father.
1: So, the story goes on and says, There'd been such sadness leading up to my wife's death... Then this vision happened, he said, and the nurses and ward sister must have thought we were very insensitive because we felt this sense of elation and happiness.
0: Everyone wants that, though, don't they? Everyone wants to know that when they lose someone, that they've gone to somewhere where they're going to be happy. No one wants to believe that that's it, it's over, they're dead, they're going to go in the ground or they're going to get, you know, they're going to get cremated and and that their loved one is still in that box. They don't want to be thinking about that.
1: Well, no. And I, I mean... think
0: that that's where a lot of this stuff... Certainly, I mean, we've all lost people that we love, and, and this kind of stuff gives me a lot of hope.
1: Right, so it's interesting, right, because, like, why didn't Harry see anything? Do you think he just... Maybe his beliefs on what happened at the end were different to...
0: Well, And it goes back again to what we were talking filter. about. Is yep. it a filter? Or... As we know, some people are more psychically sensitive than other people. Maybe it's something to do with that. Maybe it's nothing to do with a filter that has been created by mum and dad because mum and dad are, uh, saw it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, mom and daughter, dad and daughter saw it. Didn't dad they? and daughter saw yeah. it.
0: Was it so? Dad and daughter saw it, but son didn't see it. So mm. it's probably not anything to do with. The family upbringing.
1: Yeah, it's not, like, it's not like the woman who died said, I don't want him to see. It yeah. had to be something else.
0: Yeah, there had to be something else involved.
1: In the second story, the second instance, a woman in her 40s called Laura was holding her mother's hand as she started slipping into a coma. Then suddenly, Laura said her mother rose from her bed and began walking away. After just one pace, though, she turned around. She looked so happy and well, said Laura. Then she said, go back now, it's not your turn. When Laura next looked at her mother on the bed, she was in a deep coma. She died three days later without regaining consciousness.
0: Wow. That would suggest that in that particular circumstance, the coma was after the spirit had left the body. So I wonder whether there was brain function there because usually if they're in a coma the medical professionals will look for brain function. So I wonder whether there wasn't any, and then three days later they decided to turn off the machine or whether there was brain function, and then she died naturally after three days. It doesn't really say, does it? But that was interesting, what you read yesterday. You read to me yesterday in the news about somebody, uh, about scientists f- found someone who's been in a coma for how long or been in a vegetative state for how long?
1: Yeah, this article that I read... Uh, It was published um, just yesterday, I believe, and it says, A 35-year-old patient in France who has been in a vegetative state for the last 15 years demonstrated signs of awareness after scientists electrically stimulated the patient's vagus nerve, according to a study published in Cell this week. The article says, although the approach was successful for this France-based patient and has worked with a few others around the globe, nerve stimulation as a means to awaken vegetative patients has yet to be studied in a major trial.
0: Uh, it, it's a bit of hope though, isn't it? It is, definitely. it is. Definitely. Okay. Well, moving on, I'm going to move on to some of the out-of-body or an out-of-body experience that I've got here. Again, the links for everything that we've gone through today will be in the show notes, so do please check that. And i tell you something else I'm going to do as well, is I'm going to put a link in the show notes to our email address. So hopefully you'll just be able to click on that and then immediately open up the email and send us your stories.
1: Before you go, there's one thing that I want to I'm say. I'm not going, I've got nothing no. to read. Yet. Okay, before <laughs> you start opening your trap, I just I'm have one me. thing to say. Somewhere in Baltimore, we have a listener awesome yeah that's right. i from your
0: hometown hmm.
1: anyway
0: there we well, go well <laughs> whoever's listening from Baltimore thank you very much Bella's one of yours she's she's <laughs> mine now but she was one of yours
1: <laughs> that just makes me so happy
0: yeah so whoever you are from Baltimore send us drop drop us a line let us know who you are and how you listen to the show and you never know maybe this whole synchronicity thing that we've been talking about <laughs> you may end up already knowing Bella somehow but, oh uh, but
1: then they may know bad things about me Yeah, well, it's not not anything we don't already know. So a final point about the research that Penny Satori put together was that she talks about how, and I've experienced this as well because I did do some hospice care, that people that are close to death, they do start to, you'll hear them sometimes talking to people and you don't know who they're talking to but it is a snippet of some sort of conversation mm-hmm. or you hear them talking about or or you hear them saying people's names or whatever. Yeah. And usually that's been put down to hallucinations or just drugs, you know, whatever it is. That, but maybe not, maybe that, maybe it's much more common.
0: There's a lot of books that have been written by doctors now and by, you know, medical professionals that are starting to write these books about things that are, are going on Every day in emergency rooms and operating theaters and that around the world mm. is crazy. You
1: no, know, it's 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 interesting. Like I said, because I I did see that a lot. And you give people, uh, they they a lot of people say mom, mom. They call for their mothers, and a lot of spouses will be, or uh, you know, a lot of people that their their spouses passed on Widows ages and, before. Yeah. They'll start saying the names of those people, and when I was in hospice, we the the patients' medical charts were there, and there was a section in the medical charts that did talk about their history. You know, if they'd been married, kids, whatever, so, you know, sort of significant things that happened in their life would be. And I can't talk about those because that's I'm not allowed to do that. Yeah. But sometimes you could actually go, oh. You know, you, you, that fits. You hear something, and you, yeah, and and you'll think, well, that's, uh, yeah, like you said, that maybe, well, I mean, I didn't think about it before, but thinking about it now, yeah, it's it is interesting. So maybe, yeah, maybe it is more common. Hmm. Anyway,
0: well, I've got something here from a doctor, and this is regarding out of body experience. So it says here, a doctor claims he had an out of body experience whilst undergoing life saving surgery. Doctor Rajiv Party was rushed to the emergency room at UCLA Medical Centre on Christmas Eve in 2010 after complications removing his pancreatic cancer. Medics had given him a catheter to wear since he'd lost control of his bodily functions. But within hours, he developed sepsis. His groin became red, swollen, sore, and he had a 105 degree fever. The next day, after being sedated overnight with morphine, he was wheeled into the operating room. It was in that moment that he witnessed what he believes was the afterlife and he described the supposed details of heaven in his new book, Dying to Wake Up. Scientific studies refute the concept of -of out-of-body experiences. Oliver Sacks, a famed neurologist, described them as hallucinations, just as you just mentioned. And last year, researchers at the Karolinska Institute found that specific areas of the brain lit up with activity according to where in the room a person thought they were, mimicking the effect of hallucinogenic drugs. But despite his 33 years of experience and training in science and medicine, Dr. Party is convinced he has seen heaven. According to his account, the general anaesthetic was given and did nothing to abate the pain. Fifteen minutes into the surgery, they inserted a catheter and he felt a surge of searing pain. At that point, he remembers floating over the scene. He could see his own body being operated on and he could hear the surgeons talking. One made a joke. At the same time, he could see his mother in a green sari sat at home in India with his sister who was wearing jeans and a blue top. They were planning a meal of vegetables, yoghurt and rice. From this tender moment, he remembers being catapulted into a hellish realm, with black clouds, lightning, a wild fire, and creatures with horns. Wonderful. Yeah, it doesn't sound much like heaven, does it? No. Here, everyone he had ever been rude to appeared before him, including a patient. The 75-year-old woman wanted to talk to me, he said. She wanted a little touch on the shoulder because her husband was dying of cancer. Then his father appeared, walked him into a tunnel, which opened to the light of thousand suns that did not hurt his eyes. At that point, he woke up the surgeons confirmed the joke that he remembered. To sceptics, that's hardly confirmation. Many people pick up details from their surroundings when they're half asleep. More astonishingly, he claims his mother confirmed that the scene he imagined in India did in fact happen as he was undergoing surgery. Hmm. Most people who claim to have had an out-of-body experience have been close to sleep in a lucid dream state or following severe physical trauma where they've had a near-death experience. Others claim to have had such experiences after taking hallucinogenic drugs or mushrooms. Exploring the subject last year, Professor Henrik Ersen led a team of neuroscientists at the Karolinska Institute in a series of brain scans. The researchers devised an experiment to trick volunteers into thinking they'd left their own body while undergoing brain scans. They used video headsets that gave participants a view of the room they were in from another person's perspective in effect teleporting them out of their body into another location. The illusions made the volunteers in the scanner believe they were actually in a stranger's body or on the other side of the room, looking back at their own body in the MRI machine. In some of the experiments, the scientists even touched or threatened the stranger's body with knives to examine how the volunteer's brain would react. Arvid Gutterstam, a neuroscientist at the Karolinska Institute and lead author of the study, said, The sense of being a body located somewhere in space is essential for our interactions with the outside world and constitutes a fundamental aspect of human self-consciousness. Our results are important because they represent the first characterization of the brain areas that are involved in shaping the perceptual experience of the bodily self in space. So that report there would suggest that it's all happening in the brain. So I just wanted to add that as the two sides of the coin, really, because we've listened to stories today that have shown that it could only possibly be something else. It could only possibly be our soul leaving our body because of the evidence that we've looked at, whereby people see things, multiple people see things, etc., etc. And I wanted to bring this in at the end a bit of balance here that we've got this doctor who believes himself that he'd been involved in going to heaven and going through the whole out-of-body experience, seeing himself lying on the table being operated on. Science, on the other hand, is saying this can't happen because we've created essentially, I guess, like a psychosomatic environment whereby we can trick the brain into believing that they're out of their body. However, we watch things on TV all the time where we can trick trick ourselves into being in, you know, the future or whatever with movies and imagery. You know, you get sort of transported, albeit, you know, for so a second didn't. or two. You know, you get into a movie or into a film and you, or into a book and you can imagine yourself in that situation, can't you? Yeah. So I think what they're triggering is imagination rather than the actual experience because there are certain elements to that which their experiment doesn't explain like for instance, he knew what was going on in India. Yeah. Now maybe his mother's got a green sari, she always wears that. Maybe the daughter's always with her and maybe they often have, you know, vegetables, (laughs) rice and, and, you know, yogurt. So maybe that stuff is coincidence. But I think that it's quite interesting how there's always going to be two sides of the argument. Mm. And I felt it was fair to put both sides in today albeit that maybe personally i lean towards the non-scientific viewpoint myself i don't know about yourself
1: i don't know it depends on the day you ask because it is weird because there are a lot of things that make sense if you pick it apart
0: yeah but if you look at those stories that we were talking about earlier some of the um, stories about the reincarnation, like that little boy who found the body of the the yeah, murdered—that's um, really strange. His former murdered self. That scientific experiment wouldn't explain why that happened, and yet there was a consciousness that presumably went from the from the murdered to the. But it's
1: interesting in how you can read one story and you will go, yeah, yeah, that
0: that makes sense. I believe that. That's yeah. pretty
1: good. And then and then you read another story and you go, oh wait, but I believe that too. And yeah. and so you do sort of get into the and the whole thing that I was talking about, where you know you can't the energy can't be created or destroyed. Only yeah. you know, and you think, oh, okay, that makes sense. And then so it's but so it does make it difficult. I mean, you can understand. The reason why there, you know, there are so many believers in so many different things. I
0: think it's interesting and and I've listened to lots of podcasts and lots of stuff about the paranormal. One thing I will say, which I've heard time and time again, which I think is a really good mantra to live by, and that is have an open mind, but not open so much that your brains fall out.
1: Uh Hopefully that happens to people.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? You know, I think you should have an open mind, but don't open it that much that you'll believe anything because you're well, gonna you get scammed be and you're gonna be ripped off. Exactly. Yeah. I knew it's... a guy once who was really gullible and I and I did a little test and I said to him, Did you know that the word gullible isn't in the dictionary? And he went, Yeah, I knew that.
1: <laughs> what about that guy that you told me about when uh, when you were younger and you, you said that if you did something to your hair, it would...
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, He he had long hair and I said to him, and this was the same guy, it was the same, he was really gullible. And my sister was working in a hairdressers at the time, just washing hair on the weekends, you know, because she was a couple of years younger than me and I was still in school at the time, so that's how young she was. Yeah, he came into school and he had this really long hair. He was like one of these heavy metal guys mm. and, and he was just really into his hair. And it, all of us had short hair. He was the only one that had long hair. And he really sort of lauded it over us with, with oh, yeah, but i got long hair. He did know. the hair flip, did he? He did all of that, the L'Oreal <laughs> flick, you know. Yeah, I said to him one day, because he's really gullible, I said, oh, you know, my sister works in, the, in that hair salon. And he said, yeah, yeah. I said, she's told me I, the best way to get rid of split ends, because he was complaining one day he had split ends. <laughs> such a, such not a blokey thing to say, complain about your split ends. Yeah, yeah. And I said, she said that the best way to do it, if if you want, I got her to write it down, and I'd written it down earlier. Really. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd written down, you had to wash your hair with raw egg, then rub sugar into your hair, yeah? Uh-huh. Then hair dry it, <laughs> and then wash it out afterwards. Well, of course, <laughs> the sugar in his hair... <laughs> The sugar in his hair, obviously he just soaked into the, the egg. <laughs> when he put the hair dryer on it, it cooked the egg. <laughs> 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 and then the trouble he had washing it out afterwards was a move on. He came in the next day and his hair was just frizz. Because he'd been scrubbing his hair and his <laughs> split ends had just got ridiculously bad. Uh, I hope he's not listening to this guy. <laughs> but yeah, it was really funny. So anyway.
1: Anyway, totally off topic. Yeah. I don't know how we got from our <laughs> experiences.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, sort of reincarnation to some idiot that I pulled the <laughs> scrambled Scrambled <on>. eggs. And- <laughs> I can't believe he cooked it. He cooked the egg in his hair. <laughs> I can't believe he fell for it. But so gullible.
1: So I think we're just about done now. I do want to mention though, there's all sorts of stuff going on right now around the world with the earthquakes and the the floods and so this morning I was reading before I got out of bed, (laughs) I was reading on my phone about a rapper named Pitbull who I've never seen, never I I don't know, Uh never heard of of him. He sent his private plane to Puerto Rico to transport cancer patients to the mainland U.S. Oh. for chemotherapy treatments. Why? Yeah, I know. And it gets better, though, because he says, Hurricane Maria left Puerto Rico in ruins with mass power outages and almost half the residents without drinking water. On the island's 69 hospitals, only 11 had fuel and power on Tuesday. Mm. You survived this... Flooding and, and, and everything else. Yeah. And, and then you die because you're at the hospital and they can't do anything for you. Yeah. When Pitbull was contacted by CNN to give a statement about it, uh-huh. he just said, thank God we're blessed to help and I'm just doing my part. What a That's guy. it. You didn't hear, oh, so-and-so de- donated this and blah, blah, you know, because it happens so much that...
0: It gets seen as a celebrity sort of stage, doesn't it? Yeah, so, and... Uh, but yeah, he obviously so- hasn't done that. What a decent chap. Nice. Guys, if we can leave you with anything, it's it's that with all of the crap and shit going on in the world, there's still some people out there that are happy to help others and, and happy to uh, put their neck on the line sometimes to make sure other people get what they need. So... Like, you know what I'm going to have to do now? I'm going to have to go, even though I'm not a rap fan, I'm going to go and buy Pitbull's next album.
1: So on the other hand, you also have people that just want fame and they want to make a quick buck and everything. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if I told you this or not, but I took my son when he was quite young mm-hmm. to this really crap zoo and we you know, we travelled quite a, quite a uh-huh. distance to get to it and he was all excited and, yeah. you know, and uh, yeah, so we got there. And there was only one freaking animal there. One? One. And you know what?
0: A lion or something. No,
1: it was a dog. A dog? Yeah, what, it was... in a, just
0: just one dog in the zoo?
1: Yeah, it was a shit zoo. Oh, you fucking God. <laughs> <laughs> And thank no, you. Who's gullible now? <laughs> yes, yes. And thank you to Colin Williams from Hawaii.
0: Ooh, Hawaii. <laughs> Aloha.
1: <laughs> for uh emailing us that joke
0: excellent he must have felt sorry for you with all the crap jokes you've been doing
1: I don't know. you're funny
0: <laughs> guys thank you very much once again for listening to our podcast really do appreciate it please do us a favor and spread the word facebook or however else you want to do it twitter we don't mind send in the stories to us as well weirdwackywonderful at outlook.com we're, we're more than happy to have a look at them and read them out for you <laughs>
1: That's bye in dog language.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Cheers, guys. You see what I have to deal with.